This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Welcome to Big Things Ahead, a new series on Free FM examining some of the big changes coming to Kitty Kitty Doa Hamilton that have the potential to change the way the city looks, grows and feels in the future. Each episode we'll look at a big issue and explore the potential benefits and pitfalls of these changes. In this episode we're looking at the concerns and negative potential outcomes of the proposed Three Waters reform and you'll also find a separate episode looking at the potential benefits from those reforms because this is a big issue for many. So let's start with the basics. Three Waters refer to our drinking, waste and storm water. What comes out the tap, what gets flushed and what goes down the drain in the street. The government is proposing the creation of four entities to look after these waters all over the country, and Kitty Kiriroa Hamilton would be an Entity B. At the moment, there are 67 local authorities who manage their own water services in their own ways through systems that have evolved over many years and try to provide the best quality options for their population bases. On top of that, regional councils are tasked with maintaining waterway quality, and iwi have a significant interest in ensuring their taonga are respected and looked after. This means every party has their own requirement for water. The needs of a city, for example, are very different to the needs of a rural authority like Waipa or Waitomo. Under the proposed structure at the moment, these would all be amalgamated, meaning residents in the Waikato would essentially be helping to fund water infrastructure in Tauranga, while Kirikiriroa Hamilton has spent considerable amounts over the past few years upgrading water infrastructure, they would then become responsible for helping to ensure other authorities that haven't made such investments get the needed upgrades to guarantee water quality under these changes, which means Hamiltonians paying for infrastructure in other parts of the country, and that doesn't sit well with everyone. Councillor Mark Bunting is one of the individual councillors behind the Hamilton Save Our Water Assets.co.nz campaign, who voted against this proposal in its entirety, not wanting it to be submitted to government at all. Here's what he had to say about that particular issue. Well, that's that's the issue. Um, it's called harmonisation. Look, there are going to be, you know, we we have been told by staff that we've done a pretty good job. Look, water is always going to be expensive. And there's uh, Tomata Arawai, which is a which is a water entity that's just started up, which is great, and they are setting the standard higher and higher and higher for their expectations of water. Now, our council have assured us that it's going to be expensive, but for those smaller councils that don't have such a high rating base, it's not so much the Tauranga's that uh, that worry me. It's more the the down the Tikuetis and the those areas that don't have the rating base or the capacity to to help out that we're going to be subsidising. Um, interestingly enough, Waipa um, are saying they're worried that they're going to be subsidising Hamilton. So <laughs> everyone's worried about subsidising everybody else. But don't get me wrong, everyone agrees we should reform, we should raise the bar. But yeah, it's that it's that subsidising and that huge, huge, huge entity um, that seems to be remarkably unfair. Um, look at the same time, the organisational structure of these entities has caused real concern for many local authorities. Timaru District Council even pulled themselves out of LGNZ over this proposal. 
When Hamilton City Council voted in late September on the proposal, the biggest concerns were around the structure of these entities and the ownership of the infrastructure. They felt these areas needed clarification from the government. While he supports this proposal in general, Councillor Dave McPherson did acknowledge that there were some issues with the proposed structure of how this was going to be managed. Um, that's, that's definitely a concern, um, and that's what, in fact, I and some others met with Nanaya on a recent Zoom call, um, particularly to discuss our concerns in that area. And one of the things she said, which was hopeful but not definitive was that um, they are more than willing to hear alternative suggestions to the council and I've put up a proposal as a sort of heads of agreement type thing without the, the details this year. we do something like the Hamilton Airport Company which has five councils joined together as joint owners no one council not even Hamilton has a majority say we have to get at least one other council on side and we all nearly always try and get consensus amongst all five. Uh, but but we can decide collectively what happens there. It's not two steps removed, appointing a panel who then appoint a board and things like that. Um, so uh, we want something more direct. We don't mind setting up a new entity covering a bigger area if we can have some direct say, and particularly over the services and infrastructure that go into Hamilton. It was not, however, a vote on whether to accept these reforms or not. According to local government minister Nanaya Mahuta, this period was one that was designed so that they could get feedback, not so that councils could sit there and make a final decision. Well, this period of time was really for all councils to understand the complexity of the information mm. that we've uh, supplied based on their information and also uh, the modelling uh, that we've commissioned to give a good assessment about the benefits of reform uh, and also, if we don't reform, what the cost implications will be on councils. So this was never a time to count up, tally up how many councils agree and how many councils disagree. What we were trying to do was ensure we're working with councils so that they understand the extent mm. of the challenge and the depth of the information that we've commissioned in order to progress a reform agenda. In a way, this government has given a concession to local councils about this particular process. Having listened to the feedback that they had around information and structures and what the actual process was going to be, they've decided to add a working group into the process that they had already lined out, working specifically with councils to ensure the best management model. However, there's still concerns from every quarter about exactly how this works. And you would have seen the press coverage where there was a whole bunch of angry politicians who were not impressed that the government decided to forge ahead with this, despite the fact that back in June, this information was actually laid out for everybody to be able to access. There's campaigns out there right now designed specifically to try and get people offside with this process, making it feel like a bit of a land grab. The ACT Party has come out saying that they will return assets to the people if they get back into power, if they get into power. There have been a number of questions raised whether or not that's just going to be assets like water supplies, or whether or not they're going to start looking at what was taken under the treaty at the same time. And it's ACT, so chances are no, they're not going to. But there are other organisations as well that are getting involved with giving councillors a push towards not accepting this particular proposal. 
So all opposition parties have turned around and said that they're not a fan of the proposal in any shape, way or form at the moment. And organisations like the Taxpayers Union are actually organising campaigns where you can download a form letter and send that directly to your elected representative. Every politician I've spoken to in the last couple of months about anything have mentioned how prolific those particular campaigns have been. So they're definitely hitting a nerve. They do raise a really valid question though. If you no longer technically own something, how do you borrow against it to fund infrastructure? I asked Councillor Mark Bunting that exact question. Well, that's that's the issue. Um, you, you borrow against your assets and uh, those assets will be gone. There's one and a half billion um, dollars worth of assets. Uh, there is a certain amount of debt too. Um, you'd have to ask Rob Pasco about exactly what that is, but I think it's in the roughly 30 to 40 million. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but it's around that. And um, uh, yeah, if you haven't got the asset, you can't borrow it against it. But of course, the government can. And that's that's their argument, you see. They, they are saying that with these huge entities, uh, they'll have the suitable scale to be able to borrow enough to um, to put these assets or put this infrastructure in the ground better than the councils will. My argument is, of course, I think we can achieve similar scale with a smaller council-driven uh, mixed model. And, you know, the community has a say on, but unfortunately, it just seems to be the only option on the table at the moment. That mixed model that Councillor Bunting mentioned also hints at another slight issue that can happen with this. When you're dealing with a large-scale entity like Entity B is meant to be, how do you control when assets that you need are going to be implemented? It can become a real problem if you don't have a say in that respect, and as a council, who's in charge of what developments go ahead, what subdivisions happen, what infill's going through. That kind of need-to-know information is really important. Here's what Councillor Dave McPherson had to say on the topic. If the question, the negative effects is how much control can a local area have? I mean, Hamilton is growing fast at the moment, both in terms of infill and in terms of new subdivisions, as fast as any part of Auckland, basically, proportionally, and probably faster than most parts of Auckland or Tauranga. Um, we need the infrastructure to go in at the right time uh, to cope with those increases. We, um, and we, at the moment, we can decide that ourselves. It's up to Hamilton City Council. If we have to go to a third party and say, we want you to build us a new wastewater pipe, you know, uh, two metres in diameter down this side of the city so that we can cope with uh, whatever, um, it's uh, how much say do we have over that? That's a real worry because it's got to be timely investment in new infrastructure, not just a sort of some generic thing saying that they'll um, they'll help us um, sometime in the future. How Entity B is going to handle time-sensitive projects in 22 different regional authorities is a really big question hanging over this entire project. Kirikiriraua Hamilton is by far the largest residential area within that sector, but it doesn't mean that there is a lot of small areas that are going to not have the same issues. Places like New Plymouth, for example, Teikowiti, Tomaranui, have decent sized population bases, and they're all going to need projects done within a time-sensitive manner that's going to work for them. So resources are going to have to be shared, and nobody can tell us exactly how that's going to happen yet, because the management structure hasn't been locked down. And of course, if you don't know how the management structure is going to be working within this entity, 
how are we going to work out who's going to be accountable for what? Which becomes a really big question. 22 individual councils at the moment take responsibility for the actions within their own electorates. If you've got a large-scale entity with a management structure that isn't defined yet, being able to work out who is accountable becomes really problematic. One of the other strangely uniquely Hamiltonian issues is water meters. Now, water meters have been an election issue for the last few terms, and there's a really good reason for that. Hamiltonians don't like the idea of water meters. They never have. They've fought really hard to stop them from getting in and stop them being used, even though there is some research that says that it's a great way of being able to make sure you're more economically responsible when it comes to your water usage. So what is going to happen to Hamiltonian's strong stance against water meters when this goes ahead? Um, like I said, the, we're very much arm's length influencer now. Um, and here's a simple thing. They're going to do what is the technically the right thing for the entity. Whereas, look, you know, water meters, it could be argued, could have been in town two or three terms ago. But because it was such a brouhaha, the community was able to make a difference and say, no, we'll mind our water. We'll be good. We, won't, we don't want water meters. That's my concern about this is now, Say they put water meters in and say, guess what? You're going to get water meters. Who are you going to call? It's not going to be your councillor because we won't be able to do jack squat. Um, and that's my main worry is that um, soon uh, renters who are technically paying for their water through their rent are now going to get, if there's water meter, they'll get the volumetric water bill as well. And so suddenly you're not only paying your rent, you get a water bill as well. And that's going to affect their lower socioeconomic areas uh, um, big time and you know I'm working real hard to try and even the scale for the you know for the um, for the deprivation. Mm. Councillor Dave McPherson considers the question about water meters a little bit of a red herring but if you want to learn more about that check out the other podcast that we've got at the moment on the three waters reforms the pro water reform podcast because we go into greater detail about it there and it's quite fascinating to see his perspective and suggestions on how to make sure that that doesn't become such an issue here. But the fact of the matter is, at the moment, nobody's 100% certain that that's exactly what's going to happen, because nobody knows what the management structure is or the influence that the city is going to have on how that management structure is put forward. By now you're probably sitting there thinking, there's a lot of big questions hanging over this entire project, which make you understandably apprehensive. What is the management structure going to be like? Who is going to own these assets? How is it going to be functioning in a timely manner for each individual authority? How do you borrow against assets that you may or may not technically sort of kind of own? And why does this feel like it's such a rushed process? Now that last one is definitely a red herring. It's been stepped up and laid out in front of the press as something that has surprised local politicians. But back in June at Local Government New Zealand's National Conference, the entire process was laid out for all politicians to take a look at. This is what Local Government MP Nanaya Mahuta had to say about the two-month uh, two period that councils were given to look into this issue. We've given the sector eight weeks, so at the end of this month, Cabinet will take on board all mm. the feedback from the sector and then make its determinations. So either some local politicians have a really short memory about this process or they weren't paying attention when the information was provided. The government has always maintained since the start of this process that they wanted to make sure everything was in place by the end of 2024. And that included in their step-by-step -step process by the end of October signing off on whether or not to go ahead with these reforms. 
It's not a confirmed land grab, despite what some have said. What it is, is a confirmation that water reforms in some shape, way or form is coming. And that's not to everybody's liking. Some people prefer the status quo, and others prefer to work on the model that they've been working on specifically within their own region. My argument is, of course, I think we can achieve similar scale with a smaller council-driven uh, mixed model. And, you know, the community has a say on, but unfortunately, it just seems to be the only option on the table at the moment. So while a local government mixed model seems to be what the preference for local councillors around here, the local government minister has been very specific as well about why this process was important to get their feedback. But she was also equally blunt in why she feels that councils really do need to pay attention to what's going on, especially if they don't want change in any shape, way or form. I think a few councils signalled too early that they were out without trying to really understand the depth of the information. Mm. I think it would be unsustainable for councils to expect that the status quo can continue, but importantly that the government would be in a position to put money into the status quo situation mm. without further efficiencies. Now, status quo is also something that's really important in this whole argument. And that's because at the moment, the government is in the process of its local government review. Now, it does this every so often where it basically goes, what's working, what doesn't, what can we fix, what don't we fix? Do we amalgamate councils? Do we keep them together? What's going on? What's going to change? That review process has only just started, but we'll be doing an episode or two on that a little bit later on as well. So you can download that again from FreeFM when that episode is up and running. One of the reasons why Waikato Regional Council was not particularly keen on this proposal was because they know that there's change coming and they're really concerned about making big changes before we find out what the outcomes are of these big local government reviews. I spoke to Jennifer Nichols, who is a Waikato Regional Councillor, uh, about what their particular concerns were and she was one of these people who led the charge to make sure that the statement that was put out by Waikato Regional Council was workshopped within the group because there were people there who were determined to say no and some who were like eh. So she sat down and made sure the group workshopped exactly what it was that they were going to say and here's her reasoning behind that. Um, I certainly and I mean I can only speak for myself um, the the regional council itself has a position an interim position statement on this and very much wanting to say interim because um, this process is by no means finished and so um, ultimately I, I led the charge to go with a position statement um, which the councillors workshopped together. Um, we, we were, one of the things that was really important to me was that we actually add to the debate. Um, and so when a few councillors wanted to just outright reject um, the reforms, um, I, I pushed hard to make sure that the workshopped piece um, would be the one that goes ahead. And so um, I could see a lot of benefits in having this conversation when the... Um, future for local government work, uh, those reforms are um, closer to completion because really you're um, talking about taking infrastructure um, and how it's being managed um, from council with councils um, that are unsure of their future from a reform process anyway. And so bringing that together would have been ideal, but I'm mindful that um, you should never wait for central government processes to finish to do anything. And so I'm, I'm torn personally between um, 
the logic of that and the need to get on because it's already seven, uh, you know, several years since um, the Havelock North incident and we need to start getting on and um, sorting out our environment and, and the well-being of people who don't want surge in their beaches and and on their main streets or, or anything like that, yeah, or our brand being impacted. One of the important things as well that hasn't really been seen in the media and hasn't had a lot of press coverage is the fact that the regional councils are tasked really specifically with looking after the waterways. So that's all about your rivers and your lakes and your oceans and keeping their water quality up. Hamilton is really specific in how that particular environment works for us in that the water supply from the city gets taken from that river and the wastewater from the city goes back into it before being fed to Aucklanders. So ensuring that the three water structure works for the city is something that the regional council kind of needs to get involved in but hasn't really had much to do with it so far, other than a statement that they've put out. I asked Jennifer again why that seems to be, like, like how regional council fits into this great big puzzle of what's going on. And one thing that from a regional council perspective that I think hasn't come out in the narrative so far is that you know, it is our role as the regional council to assist um, asset owners and who, who undertake activities like providing three waters with their environmental impact management. And so currently what we have is we help 11 territorial authorities in our region uh, who have a variety of number of wastewater plants, water treatment plants and stormwater systems. And, and those 11 councils have, you could say, 11 minds and mindsets. So... Uh, for the regional council to only be dealing with one entity and one mindset and strategy would probably be more efficient in the sense that um, you can get together, say, we've got to sort these out, these are the issues facing us, and you kind of go forth um, as entity to entity. Uh, whereas at the moment you'll have some councils that are streets ahead and you've got others that are lagging behind and there's a lot of admin, put it that way. So if the regional councils aren't big fans of this, and if your local authorities aren't big fans of this, who is a big fan of this particular proposal? So far, of all the groups and organisations that should be at least consulted with what's going on, only one within the region has actually said, yeah, they actually like the idea of what's happening, and that is Waikato Tainui. Their argument is that it's really important about the management structure to ensure that you've got Māori voices around that table, and the structure that was proposed sees six seats for Māori specifically around the table of 12. Now, as you're well aware, Waikato Tainui is by far the biggest uh, iwi within the region, but that doesn't mean it's the only iwi within the region. So that's why you've got those six tables there. Uh, Linda Te Aho, who is the chairwoman of Te Aratauta, the governance board for Waikato Tainui, um, has come out saying, as far as she can see, this is a really good proposal for Māori in that they get a say in management and it's enshrined into how it's actually built. But that means if you've only got 12 seats around a table and half of those are already taken up by iwi, six seats for 22 local authorities is a really tough stretch for a lot of people who don't feel that they're going to be able to have the control necessary to get in there and make the changes that need to be made or to manage water the way that it needs to be managed for their particular regional authorities. Water is a surprisingly complicated topic. 
When it comes to your three waters, you've got so many regional authorities that have an investment in exactly what they've got already and what they're going to need for the future. You've got a regional council that's there in charge of making sure that the water quality in its natural form is as high as it possibly can be. And three waters plays directly into that because we take it from there and we put it back into the natural environment that we got it from. At the same time, Iwi also has a really important say in what's going on. They have a spiritual connection to the water. So it's something that's highly important to them. And one of the things that everybody kind of knows about water is that it's patient. It will wait millennia to ground down mountains, but it will ground down a mountain. But what hasn't felt like it's taking its time is the proposal to change the way that water works within this country. It does feel really rushed to a lot of people. And while there is procedures that have been laid out, even those procedures don't feel like they've been going long enough to keep everybody happy. It's such a complicated issue that it's been almost impossible to nail down positions from some people. You've got some regions like Northland which are really unhappy with this proposal because it would see an immediate 300% price increase for them. As well as Auckland which had already planned to double water bills in the next 10 years to cover infrastructure costs. Some Auckland councillors have come out being really unhappy with the drainage option for Three Waters because they want to use it to redirect into green spaces and try and create an environmentally friendly way to green up areas that don't necessarily have that at the moment. In Kirikirirawa Hamilton it's no less complicated. We pull the water supply from the river and we put the water supply back into the river when we've finished with it. There's a whole bunch of things that have to go hand in hand with that. We've got sewage systems that at the moment are actually holding up pretty well, but they could be problematic as the city grows. And the city is growing faster than anywhere else in the country right now. There's so many different balls in the air, it's really hard to know where they're going to land. And this particular reform is one that's got people really anxious. And to be honest, I'm not surprised by that. Any large-scale change is going to scare people. Any sort of large-scale change where they don't feel like they're having a say is really going to scare people. And it doesn't help that you've got organisations that are sitting here pushing for the status quo, and the government sitting there pushing back saying the status quo is not working. And they're right. There are some parts of the country that have let their infrastructure fall to pieces. There are parts of the country where you see it on the news every day where there's sewage pipes bursting or there's issues with their water supply. People died at the start of 2016 and that's what led to these reforms. And it's really important to remember that the reforms are needed specifically to keep people safe. So ultimately, everybody who's come out against this, everyone who has an argumentative point against this proposal, they're doing it because they think that there's a better way to keep people safe. And that's an essential part of what their role is as community leaders. But it's also something that we take for granted as water users. We assume our water is going to be safe. And we need to be able to assume our water is going to be safe. We need to make sure that whatever proposal the government goes ahead with, and as I said before, it's not going to be sorted until 2024, that everybody's as happy as they possibly can be with it. Because if they're not, then Entity B is never going to be able to deliver what it promises for the entire region. And it is a massive region. It needs to keep a lot of people very happy. And it has to juggle a lot of different interests. Whether or not this proposal can work, 
that's a tough one to tell. And before you make up your mind on it, make sure you download and listen to our other podcasts on the Three Waters Reform. There's a whole episode there on the pros and the positive benefits that Three Waters could actually have for the region. Thank you very much for listening and joining me. Uh, feel free to download all of the podcasts from freefm.org.nz or wherever you get good podcasts from. And don't forget to tune in again for the next episode. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.